When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's what everybody, we are back, and this is episode 218. Are you a good developer? Are you a good developer, Mike? You a good developer? This is a terrible question. I don't know why you would ask me that. But, like, what type of developer? Are we talking programming? <laughs> like, housing developments? Housing are development, you developing yeah. I'm a medicines? great housing developer. I've never done it before, but I'm a great at it. He's a solutions architect, also known as a solutions developer, maybe? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what it is? So this sounds interesting to you. <laughs> if you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. So, Mike, you said that's a terrible question. It's the name of the episode. Obviously, you're going to ask it at some point. Why do you think it's terrible? What do you think of the question? Let us know. Yeah, so I don't know. It just kind of popped into my head. And I've been asked this before from random people. And I think not... It's not so much someone else asking me it, it's myself asking myself it, if that makes sense. So I, in my head, constantly have this question go through my head. And I'm like, am I actually a good developer? And I think this is a point of possibility to go into imposter syndrome for a lot of people. So I just wanted to kind of address how it isn't a very good question. Obviously, I said that right off the top of my head, why I think it's not a great question. But more importantly, how do we kind of establish at least some metrics or some some things that can make us seem like better developers, right? I want to talk about those things and I and I just want to I want to calm people down and also put into their minds that you're not the only ones asking yourselves this question because I am asking it, Matt is asking himself that question, I'm sure a lot. Everyone's asking it and we all have strange and weird answers. Sometimes it's like, you know, egocentric answers and most of the time from what I understand it's like no, maybe, I don't know. That's really the biggest answer and the most clear answer that I've gotten from people and myself as well. For the because, record, yes. the biggest question I ask myself usually is, am I an idiot? <laughs> I usually do something and then it doesn't work. Uh, I troubleshoot it for a bit and it still doesn't work. And then I'm either, <laughs> I either find the solution or I don't find the solution. And then I'm just like, am I an idiot? Like, what, What's going on here? So just for the record, that's the number one question I ask myself. And it's the same thing. I, I mean, we could have used that as the title as well, but I feel like it would not have done as well as this title. So are you are you an idiot? Is the name of the episode? Are you an idiot? <laughs> I mean, it might have done pretty well actually. But regardless, it's the same kind of line of questioning, right? Like it's a, it's the it's that point where you're like, am I really a good developer? Like I even ask myself this after I succeed in a task, which is a weird thing to ask. And I usually have, again, a negative response in my own head. Like, am I a good developer? I've succeeded on something, but like, yeah, but this this person can do it, you know, probably twice as fast or something like that. Um, but again, that's not a constructive way of thinking. Obviously, the better way of thinking is to find a way to either convince yourself that you are a good developer 
or just not ask that and do your just do your work like get go move forward get get better like become a better a better developer by actually putting in the time and effort to do the work that's really the answer to this question not yes or no if that makes sense but to make it a little bit easier let's define what a developer is in this context a developer in my eyes is someone that can take a problem outlined either by user requirements or a user story, you know, a task created in Jira, something like that, and implement it using code or coding tools. That really is the basis of a developer to me. If someone defines a feature they want to be implemented on a site or an app, can you build that feature? Right? So I think defining it makes it a little bit easier for to trust ourselves. Because again, like Matt, like initially right off the bat, Matt was like, what's a developer? Great question. The hell is a developer? Is it the housing developer? Whatever. But like even, even inside of code, like what is a developer? Again, it's, it's can you, can you complete that task? Can that you develop a solution? You. Correct. Can you develop a solution? It's not like, is the solution the most effective solution possible in the, in the grand scheme of things? That's not in my eyes what a good developer is is can you develop a solution that works for this problem? You know what a big thing is actually with this is if you think about it, when you go into something new, so it's a new problem, maybe it's a new no-code tool, maybe it's a new framework, it doesn't matter, and you go to put something together. I'll give you an example of one that isn't even coding. Uh, we did a bit of a renovation on our intake on our Discord server. We added a welcome channel and the person has to choose a a role, like are they a designer, are they a front-end developer, whatever. And then they have to then agree to the rules. And even though I was doing absolutely no code and I didn't have any custom commands or anything, it took me a few hours to get this thing working the way I wanted. I was being specific. The way I wanted to with our bot, trying to like put all these pieces together, trying one solution. Okay, that works 90%. Why don't I try for the other 10 Tear out that solution, try another one. Oh, great. Now I'm at 80% and I hit some weird limitation that the, the developer of the bot never thought of or, you know, wasn't in the documentation or whatever. Try another one, try another one, try another one. Eventually come together with a solution that I liked and it was fine and everything's good. But it's still developing a solution for this. I could now take that, what I just did, and I could make that into a YouTube YouTube video or show another uh, Discord server admin what I did to get that to work. Is it the most elegant solution? Probably not. Is it the best solution? Definitely not. Because I came up with two or three, maybe even four solutions that day. And somebody else could have landed on any one of those solutions just that day. So if we take that into something like code or whatever, where a certain problem might have hundreds of different solutions, depending on the complexity of the problem, of course, that in and of itself, it's like there's a bunch of other factors that come into play. The timing, how much security, this and that and the other thing. And so, you know, I might land on solution one. You might land on solution 200 and Mike might land on solution 50. It's like we still developed a solution. It's It, it really comes down to, for me anyway, when I work for a client, um, one of the things I always worry about is, oh my God, like, is this thing going to be easy to maintain? Are they going to be calling me a bunch? Is this thing just stable right now? And is it going to become unstable? But then when I work on a problem, work on a project for myself or for a friend or something, I just go ahead and do it. 
I don't question like, oh, I've never used this plugin before. I just go, oh, I've never used this before. And I just go and do it. I don't go and think like, oh my God, is this going to become unstable? Is this, that, and the other thing? And so by, by taking out that client, um, that client sort of relationship, I suppose you could say, it allows me to just develop. It allows me to just develop a solution, whether that's with a WordPress plugin, whether that's with some WordPress code, like I'm putting in some code in there, some PHP to get something to work a certain way, or what have you. Um, it Your development ability and your development solutions that you're going to come up with, good or bad, get affected by these outside by these outside, um, these outside influences, really. And so at the end of the day, did you develop a solution? And then you're more than likely a good developer. More than likely. You could develop something that's totally crazy, like, oh, I, you know, in order to, in order to run this website, I put a server in my garage because I didn't want to pay for the host, <laughs> for the really cheap hosting fees. And then that thing is controlled by a light switch. Like, you know, it starts getting a little ridiculous. But did you develop a solution that no one's going to raise an eyebrow at and it's not going to get you in trouble? Then you're a good developer. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. And, and it really does, as any good question, have an it depends answer, right? And Matt kind of outlined that perfectly when he said, like, when he's working for a client, he has to work a little, uh, he has to think a little bit more about maintainability. Is it going to go down? The, you know, is it going to be a good solution, you know, three years from now, whatever, when you're working for yourself, it's a little bit different. So there's that it depends coming in very drastically. And that's why, like, in certain cases, you can be a great developer even without writing any code, like the no code case. Like you can, you can create some crazy solutions with no code tools. You don't have to even write any code. You're still a good developer in my eyes. Again, this is all, this isn't a scientifically proven episode. Like there is no baseline here. This is my baseline. What I consider and, and mostly for myself. Again, a lot of this, this question isn't something that I get asked all the time. Again, a couple times in my life. Most of the time, it's me asking myself. And that's what I want to help everyone else ask themselves less, first of all. And second of all, have a better way to get to their goals down the line of becoming, quote unquote, a good developer or just getting better as be, at, a, at being a developer, which is the better goal. So just to dive in here, are you a good developer? Asking that again. First of all, yes, this is a stupid question. And usually you're either brushed off or leads to imposter syndrome. Having said that, I do think it's important to kind of sometimes just check yourself, right? It's not even only important. It's just going to happen. That's the other thing. It's like even if you try to do your best at like just focusing on the problems and maintaining good good mindset, you're always going to be questioning yourself. So I think it's better to approach it from a more constructive way rather than just spiraling into imposter syndrome. So what I want to do is for my own self, I've created a list of things that I think makes me a better developer and things that I want to keep working on. These aren't all things that I'm an expert at in any way, shape or form, but if these are these are topics that I want to continue to become better at and stuff that I have a good baseline in. So first thing here, breaking down large problems into smaller problems. I think as you become a developer in a team, you're going to be given, you know, here's, I need you to create this site. Or I need you to create this habit tracker for our team. Like this is a ridiculous problem, but like stuff like that can happen. These problems, when you're first given them, can be scary. Like they can be like, they can be 
uh, imposter syndrome inducing. They can, they can stop you in your tracks because there's just so much around it. Like, how do we create a habit tracker? Like, that's, you know, like, okay, what technology do you want to use? Like, what are the, what's the design of it? Are we going to be logging in? Who's going to log in? Like, how are we maintaining these credentials? All of that comes to a head if you can't break that down into smaller ones, into small problems. Because if you're just sitting down at a keyboard trying to solve that huge problem, first of all, you're probably not going to write very good code because it's just going to be all over the place with panic. Or you're just not going to be able to do it. You need to be able to take that and create, you know, the, the, create a list of tasks that you need to solve to get to the final solution. Regardless if it's for a personal project, for a business, for a client, for a company, you need to be able to take the problem and break it down into smaller achievable tasks for yourself and for actually completing the task. So for like a habit tracker, you need to create, I just want to do an example right? You need to create some designs, a sca- some scaffolds, some wireframes. You need to then have a task for implementing those designs. Maybe break that task down into one task per page, per, per layout that you need to implement, right? Then you need to have a task for creating user account functionality. You need a login page, a register page, edit users, profile page, whatever you decide. You need to add the ability to add a habit for a user. That's a separate function. That's a separate uh, task. You might have to break that one down as well. And again, as you get more further and further drilled down, you'll have a list of broken down tasks, whether you do it in something like Jira or you just do it in a notes app, whatever. It doesn't matter at the end of the day, as long as you can break it down. And then instead of solving a habit tracker, you're solving creating designs. That's much more achievable. Or you're solving adding uh, login functionality to this to this app. Again, much more achievable than that big task. So it's, I think it's an important metric that you can base yourself on is if you can take a task and break it down into achievable pieces. One thing that's interesting about this too, when you think about breaking down a task, is you know it helps you obviously break it down so you can build something. It also helps you break it down in in terms of fixing it and troubleshooting as well. Um, one of the things that I've always been told by any boss I've ever worked for is like that I'm pretty, I'm really good at troubleshooting and I kind of do the, the, the task breakdown. Obviously my task is not to create this habit tracker, but let's say for example, this habit tracker breaks down. It's all there. It's all working. If something breaks down and I'm finding out that a certain subset of users is not able to log in. Well, the very first thing I'm going to look at is, okay, well, we know that the login functionality is working. We know that anyone who's logging in is not complaining about the habitat or the habit, excuse me, adding the habit, showing the habits. So we know that all those pieces, the showing the habits, adding the habits, those work. We know that registering works because no one's complaining about registering. We know that editing a profile, once you're in there, works. So where's the problem? Okay, it's in the login system somewhere. Okay, and then you break it down again. It's like, okay, where where did those users come from? What users are in trouble? Do they all have the same... Uh, starting letter of their name? Is this some sort of weird database problem? Did they all register in the same week? Is there something wrong with the date there? Does this co- does this coincide with anything else that happened out and around it? So by being able to break down these problems when you're in the creation phase of being, or concepting to create, I suppose, phase, 
it's it'll help actually exercise your troubleshooting skills. Now, I did it the other way around where I was in IT, learned how to troubleshoot, and then now I can apply this here. But you yourself will be debugging as a developer person that's coding up a website or a web app will be uh, debugging and, and, and troubleshooting and going through your code to make sure it's working and fixing problems that you're seeing right off the hop before it even gets to a QA team. And it's crucial to have this ability to break break things down and really kind of zoom in on things, whether you're creating them, editing them, or trying to fix them. It gives you, zooming in almost gives you the bigger picture where you're able to say, is the whole thing down? No, okay, in a bit. Is the habits there? Yep, okay, good, go in. Is anyone complaining about adding a habit? No, okay, good. Can everyone register? Yep, okay, good. And you're zooming, you're taking that real big picture and you're going in, 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 in. When you're trying to create, you do it the other way. Where you go, oh, oh, we have this huge problem. How am I supposed to tackle this? Okay, well, hang on. Let's start with the login. Like, we have to have a login page, obviously, because each user is going to have their own habits. Okay, make a little login system. All right, that's working. Well, hang on. How do we get new users? Okay, now we're going to have a registration system. And you can see how this is kind of stepping out into a bigger completed project and how troubleshooting starts out and goes in. But it's still the same skill, just in reverse. And so this is really a double whammy skill that you really should learn as a developer, as a, as a person that just troubleshoots really anything. You don't even need to be into tech. If you're troubleshooting cars, you're troubleshooting flooring, <laughs> you know, you're a contractor trying to figure out where elite comes from, you know, troubleshooting and breaking down tasks is really, really crucial. Absolutely. I think the fact that you added troubleshooting into there is also a really key thing. I didn't actually add it into my list, but I'm going to now. I 100% agree. Learning how to troubleshoot and just being calm during the troubleshooting process is going to increase your confidence by tenfold. I can guarantee you. Like Matt was just describing, breaking down that issue that's flying in and production is down and being able to take it step by step, being like, okay, is this working? Is this working? And then drilling down, figuring out how to console log, how to add debugger statements, how to check what is what components are present, what data is, is visible and what component at a given state in your application. All those things are going to make you a better developer 100%. So be very, it's very key to learn debugging. Be mindful of it as well. It's not just something you tack on. It's something you have to go out of your way to get better at, right? Like I was taught how to use the pro, how to use the uh, develop, develop dev tools in Chrome properly, where, how to set breakpoints, how to add debugger statements so that it, it automatically hits a breakpoint, right? All of those things are key. They're, they're tools that you can use, but you need to learn how to use them. And then you need to slowly get better at figuring out where to start the debugger, debugging process. It's not going to come to you naturally. This is not something that you're just going to be born with like, oh, I know exactly where the problem is immediately. No, it's okay to struggle here. This is This is where you're going to struggle no matter what. But you will get better at it as you develop more code, as you dive deeper into existing code, as you read code. All of that stuff is going to make you better at this. And it's okay to struggle and get better and slowly and slowly. Struggling at this does not mean you're a bad developer. I want to be clear there. It just means that this is this is where you should focus a little bit of your time. So next thing here is writing readable and maintainable code. Now, like Matt said, Different situations require different techniques for this. If you're writing something that you're, it's just like a demo application that you're just going to try and, you know, 
probably put in the sandbox later. You don't have to write super maintainable code. You don't have to write a, a set of documentation for it. You might not have to use TypeScript, stuff like that. Like it, it is contextual. But if you're developing an application in a team of with a team of developers that's supposed to be in production for like three to five years, then this becomes very important. Because you have to think about not only yourself, but like two years down the line when you're no longer working on the project. You don't want to put yourself in this box where you always have to be the one maintaining it. And even if that's the case, that's not it's not a, re, a realistic outlook. You, you want to be able to move up in a company. You want to be able to jump to different projects. That's how you're going to get your bonuses. That's how you're going to get your uh, your better pay. That's how you're going to get your better referrals, right? If you go into a project, be chaos, like create chaos with the with the intention of always staying on that project. What happens when a better job offer comes down the line? You're going to jump on that job offer, but now people that are going to be using your code your, or your, your previous bosses, they're going to go in and they're going to realize they're going to have to rewrite that code. They're no longer a reference for you. So you have to think about that kind of stuff. You have to like, it, you're never going to write perfect code. I'm not going to, I'm not saying that, but at least think about like variable names. Think about function names. Don't just write, you know, generic function, right? This adds, this adds uh, taxes to my uh, purchase add tax, something like that, something descriptive in a function. When you can't describe it with a function name, add a comment. I always use comments. I use comments in a couple different ways. When a problem is difficult, I'll actually scaffold my code in comments first. So I'll be like, this is where I need to calculate the tax with a comment. And I'll be like this, uh, I'll, I'll be a little bit more descriptive than that to make it so that I don't have to rewrite the comment later. But I'll essentially put the, what the function is going to be doing in a comment first before I actually write that function. And then I can see my code kind of scaffolded a little bit, almost like in pseudo mode. And I'll just fill in the gaps of what my comment is saying. If there's an issue, then I go and Google that issue and come back and fill in that gap. And as a slight aside bonus, if you do it that way and you have a GitHub Copilot subscription, GitHub Copilot is very good at reading a comment and inferring the code that you want to create from that comment. And for people that don't know, GitHub Copilot is an autocomplete code uh, creator. It uses AI based on like hundreds of thousands or millions of GitHub repos and stuff like that. There's some there's some iffiness there about uh, where if some of the code is closed source or not, but we're not going to go there right now. It's a it's a good tool for for what it is. So again, if you're using it, that's another bonus of using the scaffolding comment technique. The other bonus, obviously, is the fact that your code is now documented before you've even written it. But if you're not going that way, just write comments about code that you find ambiguous, that you know needs a little bit more description. That's fine, too. It doesn't have to be every line. You don't have to comment every line. Don't do that, in fact. Comment large chunks of code. Comment stuff that's ambiguous. Stuff like that. Using TypeScript. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. I was going to say another thing, too, is don't, don't hard code stuff as well. Uh, we've mentioned this and I, I mentioned this in a recent article that I wrote as well is like, don't, don't hard code stuff. What I mean by that is like Mike saying that he writes his functions and his functions would be like adds the tax or like set the tax rate or adds the subtotal, like whatever, stuff like that. Instead of, instead of having one function, for example, that just says totals everything, which is still correct in that it, it'll work. But that's very hard coded for that one website where 
you can't take your sets tax function and copy and paste it into someone else's thing and then start using it where you pass it an argument of like how much the total is and what the tax rate is and it figures it out. This is one big function of gets all, you know, get your total and it does all the stuff inside. That's called hard coding. And that's one thing that really hurts maintainability because that is something that is hard coded to work for just that website and just websites that are identical to it, which are few and far between, if not non-existent. And so that really hurts your maintainability because it, you have to, um, well, it hurts, it hurts your future productivity for sure, because you can't use your old snippets, but it hurts your maintainability in that if someone goes, where the heck's the problem here? Oh, the problems with the tax, they're going to look for a tax function when in, instead it's just like, it, it's in the total and it's like, oh, great. So I got to go in this huge function that's doing, say, 10 things or it's adding all the items together. It's doing the subtotal. It's getting the tax rate. It's doing everything all in one function. And it's like, great. Like if I change anything in here, it's going to break this function. It's not siloed. It's not it's everything's all together. It's sure it, it's siloed in the totaling. You know, it's not messing around the nav bar or something, but it isn't. It's not maintainable. It's not it, really it adds to the technical debt. It starts creating a problem where. You start going, oh, man, like, I can't, like, where is all this stuff? How do you maintain it? And in the article that I wrote recently was I was talking a lot about how to make a complex sort of dynamic design and translate that into um, a CMS. And I was talking about technical debt there and keeping things maintainable and keeping things, you know, backwards compatible and being respectful of, like, what you think the future is going to hold for the design and stuff like that. How that how that. Um, applies here is that, you know, we're talking about writing readable and maintainable code. Every piece of the project really needs to be maintainable. Um, the CMS really should be maintainable, like f- even from the visual aspect where someone knows what the heck is going on. You don't want to use the term from the 1800s for the, for subtitle, if there's a different term in your, in like, in your, your, your code and then in your CMS label. And then you're going to pass up somebody else. And it's like, well, sure, it technically works. And sure, maybe you even have t- two separate functions like you should. But if they call it something like, I'm just going to make up something, call it a desk. For some reason, if it was called a desk back then, you're going to be like desk, like desk, like the item, like we're, are we selling desks? Like what's going on here? Like every piece of everything from the layout through the code through the CMS really should be readable and maintainable so that when you do that troubleshooting to bring it back to that, when you do that troubleshooting, you're, you're able to troubleshoot and maintain quickly or at least figure out what is wrong or where the area is wrong. And then you can try to figure out a solution instead of being like, Oh, great. Here's a big, big old hard coded function. Now what do we do? Yep, that's that's very true. And the other part is like if you do these hard coded functions within functions within functions, uh, what happens if the tax calculation changes down the line? It becomes a disaster. Same with the add to card process. Like I'm currently tackling an add to card process that's very that's very much a function within a function within a function within a function, all hard coded, right? And just to break it down, you've had to unravel all these hard coded functions that are try trying to be generic but are very very rigid and what ends up happening and what i'm going to be doing is essentially ripping it all apart and building it from top down because it wasn't built in a way that was maintainable enough it was just kind of tacked on it looked like a a dumping ground for for generic use cases so it's very much important 
to write the code, write code that does separate out those concerns. Like if you have that tax function, make it as generic as possible so that you pass in the percentage amount of tax in there, the, the amount that the, the actual purchase amount, right? And then you can use those two numbers in any way that you want. So if the tax ever changes from 13 to 14%, you don't need to worry about that because you can just pass in 14%. That function will do the rest. It'll give you all the other results. So that's the kind of mentality that you have to start thinking about when you're creating maintainable code. Another thing you can do is add TypeScript to your, if this is a JavaScript code base. Again, I'm going to be talking from my own per, uh, point of view. TypeScript is, is, is a subset of, on top of JavaScript. It allows you to type JavaScript variables. What that does for maintainability is that now if you write uh, var, you know, cost of goods, you can actually type it as a number. So you know that, hey, this isn't a, you know, a string. It's going to be a number. If you write a function that has a return value that returns a dollar amount, you can actually write a type of dollar amount. You have to create a custom type for that. But now you know when someone comes in three years down the line and they see a, you know, a calculation function for tax, they know that it doesn't return a percent. It actually returns a dollar amount. So they, they don't even have to, you don't have to document that. You don't have to comment it. They don't have to run it to see what it returns. They know what it returns from the TypeScript implementation. There's a lot of other benefits of TypeScript. It has its downfalls. Like I'm not going to say it's perfect, but it's def- the benefits definitely outweigh the downfalls when you're working with a larger team and when you're working on code that needs to be maintained. So it's something you should look into if you want to write better maintainable code. Creating documentation. This one is super key. Um, something that was actually done really well on the project that I'm working on right now. There's some great documentation there. Unfortunately, the maintain, the documentation was not maintained. So the documentation is for the original code base without any of the add-ons. So now with all the stuff that's been used as a dumping ground added without any documentation on top of it, it's become kind of useless for a lot of things. So not only do you have to write documentation, you have to keep maintaining documentation. This is where that like, 50% coding, 50% refactoring and documentation comes into play. Not every company, and I'm going to say most companies will not be able to give you that, give you that ability. So that's why even more important to write maintainable code, because if you don't have the time to write documentation, you better, you better hope that your code is at least readable. But if you do have the time, use it. And again, it's not about writing the best and cleanest and fastest code. You can iterate on that. You can, you can make your code better. You can refactor it to be better, but it, Make sure that it's at least understandable. That's really the key that, that I'm trying to say is like this one is a very important piece of thinking of yourself or for, for me thinking of myself as a good developer is if I can go back to my code, you know, two weeks down the line or a month down the line or a year down the line and at least understand what I was writing. Like, yeah, like I can write that function better. That's not a big deal. You're going to get better and better as you go. That's not the definition of a good developer is if can you actually replace that function without it breaking all the code? That's a sign of like, okay, you've really thought this through at least. Okay, next thing here is staying up to date. Again, for me, I like to make sure that I understand the landscape of the industry that I'm in. So for me, it's web development. So I work a lot with front-end frameworks like React, Vue, and Svelte. I am consistently checking for other frameworks that are out there. I'm not going to be using them. I'm not going to even try every single framework, but I'll know like, hey, SolidJS came out. I'll know Astro came out. Those are cool. They seem they seem really interesting. I know about them, 
from a distance. And if I have some time, maybe I'll play with them. But for the most part, I just want to make sure that I'm at least aware of the stuff that's on the horizon. Because if I, if it comes to it, you know, two or three years down the line and I'm going to be leading on a new project, I want to do the proper technical evaluation. I don't want to come back to what I'm comfortable with every time. I think it's better to choose the right tech for the right job. Be tech agnostic. Like you don't care about the framework that you're, that you're working in just because you're comfortable with it. You want to use the right framework for the job. Now, I'm not saying that Vue, React, or Svelte are right for uh, – are there's much different there's enough differentiation for, between them to be like to argue between that i'm saying three years down the line when a new framework comes out that's 10 times as fast as one of them it's probably the time to jump but if you're in that comfort zone of using react all the time and someone else is better at better than you at being able to agnostically look at the tech landscape they're going to have a leg up so staying up to date helps you in that sense Again, don't get bogged down with learning everything. Just know about its existence. Just keep up with it. One thing One thing I'd like to come in, I don't know whether this would be devil's advocate or what, but that is that that mentality works when you're running, when you're going from team to team, uh, company to company, project to project. But when it comes to an agency, sometimes the comfort zone is needed. The reason why I want to mention that is because it's going to be too crazy to maintain multiple customers' websites if they're all over the place. An example would be if you work primarily in in Webflow um, and then you start adding the odd uh, WordPress site to your agency's to your agency's um, portfolio, there's going to be much more complex problems that go wrong with WordPress that you would be responsible for fixing than you would with a pretty much all-in-one solution like Webflow, where if something goes wrong with the server, they fix it. Or if something goes wrong with the CMS, they fix it. Whereas you could easily, and I frequently break WordPress accidentally, causing that white screen of death all the time in WordPress, which becomes your responsibility to fix it. So there there is a, like a yet like i understand what you're saying mike where yeah you don't want to you know show up to a, um let's say a, a project proposal session and then you you say you know hey you know the best the best thing for this is react but i don't know really know how to fix it or maintain it or anything very well because then the person's going to get a worse project or worse product regardless so, but if you're really good at WordPress, and even if WordPress is not perfectly suited for the project, they're going to get something better out of you specifically. So I understand the leg up there where let's say I'm all WordPress and you're all React and Vue. And, you know, you have two options. I got one effectively. And we both go to a proposal, um, like put in some proposals for a project, put in some bids. I'm only going to present WordPress. Because that's where I'm going to go for. I didn't research WordPress before and decide it. That is like I'm making WordPress work for the project because that's where I'm at. That's where my comfort zone is. Whereas you in this particular example have Vue and React. So you can look and be like, Vue's going to make a better product. React's going to make a better product. But it's it's this it's this um, push and pull where, yeah, you you are going to make the project, you know, at a hundred and you know, run at a hundred and ten percent of what, what's needed. 
maybe I can get WordPress to make it run at 100% of what's needed, but my my support is going to be right there. It's going to be matched at 100. Whereas if I decided, oh, you know what, I'm kind of new with React, and React is what we should do, I'm going to try to get a leg up on my mic and, and also bid in with React. My project might come in at 80%, and then my support might come in at 60 so the potential is there to hit 110 with React, but it not with me. And so I'm still 20% above where I'm at by making WordPress work for the project because I'm so familiar with it. So th- I understand that's a bit confusing and a bit you know, weird, but it is something that agencies especially struggle with. At least, uh, at least we do. Anyway. I think... It's a tough one because we haven't had that paradigm shift as much recently. So it's tough for me to argue this point. But my point being is that let's talk WordPress. An agency is really comfortable with WordPress. They've built, you know, 10, 20 plugins to support their WordPress clients, stuff like that, right? It's very, it's going to be very difficult for, they're very rigid on that decision now, right? And that's fine in my opinion. But, if they're not, if they're only horse blinding into WordPress and not looking at the landscape, right? And a project comes up that is suited for React, that's like 10x their usual budgets. They're no longer pot, like they can't go to that project. Some, there's certain things in that WordPress can't do that React can. Okay. So yes, they're, lo- they're not. You know, they're rigid and it, it makes sense that they're rigid, but they are also losing out on a lot of opportunity cost. But that's one side of things. The other side of things, and this hasn't happened yet. If, you know, five to 10 years down the line, a new variation of WordPress comes out, that's, you know, 10 times better than WordPress. And I want to be clear there is nothing like WordPress that's 10 times better than it. There are certain things that can do kind of what WordPress does in different ecosystems better. But overall, as a platform, WordPress is still around for a reason. I want to make that clear. But let's say that there is something down the line that's coming out that's that much better. If you're horse blinding and other agencies are not, and they're picking up this new tech that's now become mainstream enough for people to stop calling WordPress Word like the web, essentially, but start calling this other thing the web. They're going to have that leg up on you. This is a landscape of five to ten years, but in my opinion, you have to at least be aware enough and comfortable enough to start the process of switching to technologies like that. I'm not saying switch right away, but once something clearly has become a competitor it's when you should start looking at it and also i guess too it it, like at some point you do have to niche down like not necessarily niche down completely but for example you and me mike you know if 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 a major bank approaches us says hey you know make our back end like no it's 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 a no like i'm not even gonna look at it because i don't know the security enough and like i don't like it's a no sorry like I'm not, I don't have the liability insurance at that level. Like there's no chance. Um, stuff like that. Like there's just there's just no way for me to do it. I have to scale up a team. So, but like you know, if somebody comes and approaches us and their project like is within our scale, which is what I'm talking about, is like we if you're a WordPress dev and you know WordPress is still viable in like you said in five ten years and let's say WordPress is still you know just going going great. Um, you know you're a WordPress dev. 
that's fine. But you're not going to use WordPress to make that banks thing. Um, like hopefully not anyway, maybe their marketing site, if that's it, but not the web app that handles the funds. Um, but like, you just kind of got to know where your skills are and what you're doing, because the same thing too, is like, you're saying, you know, you could upgrade, but if you're an agency that, you know, let's say makes three grand a day on websites, just, I mean, that's ridiculous, but let's just say three grand a day making websites. I mean, Oh, like, oh, no, we're going to like miss the opportunity of this like one two hundred thousand dollar or three hundred thousand dollar website from a from a bank. Yeah, but that's only a hundred days. And like, do you really want to like take people off of what they're doing to train them to then build this thing? And it's their first one they're building. So like. It's not going to be as good as you'd want it, or do you just keep trucking because you're right. If you're in a dying industry, then jump off that train. But if that industry is chugging along, you kind of got to just know where you stand in that place. We've we've turned down projects due to due to maintenance. Like we've turned down projects because it's like, sure, the site might be up 99% of the time, you know. But if this person absolutely requires 100% uptime, like, we're going to have to go to them and be like, man, we're going to have to have redundant servers. We're going to have to have people monitoring this thing. We're going to have to have bots monitoring it. Like, this is wild. Like, this is way out of our wheelhouse. You know, we, there's no, like, there's no way. There's no way. Like, like, could we do it? Like, if that was a personal project, could I do it? Yeah, I could figure it out. I'd have to strategically and geographically figure out which data centers to go to, have failovers that go to different DNS and have the DNS fail. Yeah, I could do it. I could figure it out. I don't know all this stuff right now. I could figure it out. but. Like, we don't offer that service, sorry, is basically my answer. Like, sorry, like, that's beyond our scope. You know, it's the same thing with, um, it's like if you go to a tiler, like a person that tiles, they're going to choose any tile they want. But if you go to a tile store and you hire them to put in your tiles, they ain't going to someone else. Their, your tile, like, their tiles that they have in that store are the tiles you get, and that's your selection, that's it. You ain't going to the competitor and be like, yo, I want that red tile from them. They're going to be like, then you can't come to us for installation. They know where they're at. They know where they're, they know where they're, they're sitting in the industry. And the same thing, at least for us, and at least for the way I see it with web agencies, is sometimes you got to know, like, okay, I ain't doing that. <laughs> I'm not building that. I'm out of here. Yeah. And again, there's, there's a lot of positives to being in that niche down situation where you're just a WordPress agency. There's a lot of positives to that. But just thinking about it from like the employee perspective, let's say that you're an employee for a WordPress only agency. In my opinion, I think it's a good idea to look outside of what you're currently working on, whether it be you pitching it to your employer and them saying no, because we're a WordPress only agency, or whether it just be, you know, just reading a little bit about it on on the side, just to know that, hey, React exists. Because again, Nothing is guaranteed in life. Having a job in an agency is not a guarantee. I've known a lot of people that have lost their jobs due to like downturns and stuff like that. So you need to prepare yourself for the next thing. Now, sure, you could probably find a job in another job as a WordPress only developer somewhere. That's very possible. But the more you know and the more you're willing to step out of that comfort zone, the higher and the faster it is you'll find something else as well later on. So that's why like just putting all your all your um, whatever in one basket. I can't remember what the saying is. What? You're, you are muted, Matt. Damn it. I'm talking to you and I'm muted. Uh, all your eggs in one basket. All your eggs in one basket. Yes. Putting all your eggs in one basket there could bite you in the ass. 
again, this is more talking about that employee rather than the entire agency. The agency, you're right, Matt, a lot of the times as an agency, it's better to just have one platform or maybe two that you support and that's it just from maintainability perspective. But it is, in my opinion, again, just still important. Just look around. Just look outside of that little box. It's You could still find something that either works with WordPress, right, Like or is migratable to WordPress or something like that. That's just an example. WordPress is just an example. There's agencies that only do React. There's agencies that only do HTML, JavaScript, and CSS. WordPress isn't the only thing in the game. But uh, having said that, next thing here is communicating effectively. So this isn't development related, right? This isn't something that, you know, is tied exactly to development or a developer, but it is an important aspect to just giving you that confidence that you're doing well, in my opinion, because being reliable through communication can put you ahead of a lot of just put you on the radar of a lot of people in a company because they can rely on you to provide them answers. They can rely on you in a situation. They can rely on you to update them when you need to update them and stuff like that. And that kind of gives you that leg up. That gives you that authority to, to make decisions that it gives you a lot of things that can be seen as again, being a good developer without actually getting better at code. So like the, the way I, I kind of handle this is I like to make sure that I am vocal in my, you know, asynchronous work environments as much as possible. I don't over communicate. That's a really important one too. But I am very, very vocal in terms of like, I found an issue. I will report it. I'll make a JIRA ticket. I'll let everyone, all the stakeholders of that issue know as soon as I can. That alone is a very, it's it's surprising because it seems obvious, but a lot of people don't do that. They will intentionally kind of like suppress an issue that they found, especially when it's their own code. They'll try to solve it quietly a lot of the times or just wait for someone else to find it and then go go at it, right? Because like maybe this issue only happened once or something like that. If I see an issue of something that I wrote that's live in production, I will hammer at it until I figure out how to reproduce it and then I will report it immediately. And then I'll, but as I'm reporting it, obviously it's the code that, code that I wrote. I will take ownership of it. I will explain what the next steps are that I'm doing. This is what I'm doing to mitigate it. This is what I'm doing for long-term avoidance, stuff like that. Again, taking responsibility, communicating effectively, that kind of stuff can put you in a very different echelon of employee or or client relationship even. Like if we're talking agency or if we're talking just freelancer, if you're able to communicate like that to your clients, it's going to put you on a different level. That's the thing that gets you those referrals, honestly. If you're looking at freelancers, like if you're just upfront and communicatable, it trust me, a lot of the horror stories that your clients will tell you about working with developers is like they, they ghosted me. Or they didn't communicate that there was an issue and all of a sudden, three months down the line, I was charged this much to fix it or something like that. Those are the kinds of things you want to avoid when as someone that can communicate effectively. Stuff that also you can do is like answering message messages consistently when they come in or sorry, at a consistent time frame. So you don't have to answer everything immediately as it comes in. But, you know, check every half an hour, every hour, whenever you have a break, just check, give a look at your Slack messages, make sure that you're up to date, check your emails a couple times a day. Again, it's not about 
being on top of it right away at this very second. It's just about like, hey, if I email this guy or if I message this guy, he'll respond to me within, you know, eight hours, six hours or one hour, whatever, whatever you said that's reasonable for yourself to be able to achieve. And then also just being able to participate in meetings. So having that voice in meetings. So if you're doing a stand-up, being able to explain clearly what you've done in the stand-up. Or if you're if you have an issue getting people together around that issue and vocalizing what the problem is and be able to come up with a solution together. Stuff like that. Again, it's that it's not about actually coding, but it's about being able to solve problems. At the end of the day, again, being a good developer, can you take this issue that we have and implement a solution? That's what this contributes to. The thing with communication, too, is that a lot of people will forget that um, like corporations and teams and all that are really only teams and corporations because there's there's communication and things happening collaboratively. And a lot of people will just sort of think like, oh, like whatever, like I'll just go and do my do whatever I'm doing or I'll uh, go and work on my whatever I'm assigned. I'll, I'm working on the social share feature and I found a critical bug with the logo loading in the top left of the nav bar. But that's not really my problem. Like I'm not going to touch that. It's like, sure, you can take that mentality if you're up against it. You have no time and you're like, I have to get this done today. But you know, collaboratively and com- like collaborative be in the art of collaboration. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. When you're trying to work collaboratively, you need to communicate effectively. There we go. Finally said it. Um, you need to communicate that because you're not co- always thinking like, ah, like someone else will get it or like, ah, like someone else will do this and that is a major problem. Just think about how hectic it is uh, planning things. I, I hate planning things um, because it's like, it's always like, you know, you have the person that never talks. Never says a never says a damn never says a damn word, okay? And then all of a sudden it's like, well, like, where are you guys at? It's like, well, we we're at it, like we're already left. And it's like, oh, well, like, what do you mean? It's like, well, there was two months of friggin' voice messaging and or uh, group messaging, some phone calls and everything else, and you didn't say anything, so we didn't think you're coming. Oh no, I'm I'm ready to go. It's like, well, you could have at the very least you could have said, yeah, I'm good to go, guys. I'll just see you there. Hey, come on, you know, stuff like that every time. And so, you know, Mike's absolutely right. You know, over communicating is one thing, but, you know, making sure that the key points, like think about what you're, what the person that you're talking to is going to question. If they go in and they're going to be like, oh, like this logo isn't working. Like, like, why is that the case? It's like, okay, well, maybe that if I see that first, I should, I should let them know. Be like, hey, that logo's messed up. Just sort of help them, help them help you through collaborating, I suppose. And that's that those are all really good points as well. And I also have a friend that does exactly that, by the way, <laughs> just last second or even oh. it, they'll either throw a wrench in the problem at the last second after everything's been planned out, which doesn't matter anymore to me. I no longer even care about that. I just ignore it or they'll literally respond on the day while we're there uh, asking where to go and stuff like that. Sometimes it works out for them. Sometimes it doesn't. That's on them. It's wild to me. I know this is like a, it's like a tangent now, but it's wild to me when people do that and they just miss out on stuff and they're cool with it. It's like, you know, if you have to miss out on it because you're at work or something, it's one thing. But missing out on something big because you just didn't answer a group chat for two months is a little excessive. It's a little it's a little much like it's you're excessively 
don't know, lazy or something. So, you know, not necessarily lazy, but like you're in, you're, you're putting effort into ignoring it. It's sort of like, we need to, like, we need to know. We like we need to know where you are. We're trying to put the hotel together or like whatever the situation is. Person just doesn't answer. And it's like, well, like, what are we supposed to do? It's like, are we supposed yeah. to like buy another person's slot in the no. anticipation that hopefully they should like they, they show up? It, it's wild. Like, no, get out of here. When it's decision making like that, what we usually do, and I don't know if this is going to apply to any sort of job stuff, but whatever, it's tangent. Uh, what we usually do is we'll have a cutoff date and we'll tag them with an at or something like that and be like, no response means that means that you're not going. And so they have a day or two to respond. <laughs> if they don't respond, they get one last message and that's it. They, they end, we, we book the hotels and we're good. Sometimes it happens that they're like, well, now I can go. And we're like, that's it. Like we booked the hotels. There's nothing we can do. Sometimes there is something we can do and we're flexible. And we're like, okay, let's just get another room or something like that. Like it's, it's right. fine. Right. Like you can only do what you can do. We work around it. Um, I don't know if it's just like them not caring or maybe they are, they're busy with other stuff. Like it, there's a lot of people like this. Uh, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast will know at least one person like that, or they are that person or they are that person and don't that do it. Be I'm it. telling you right now, yeah. don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Like, you don't have to be all chatty and be like, oh, yeah. I'm having such a good time. But you can all, you can like literally say like, I'll be there. Book me a room. And that's all yep. you could, that's all I have to say. Or no, or just say, no, I won't or be no. there because of X and Y or like, don't even give a reason. I just won't be there. That's fine. Actually, one tiny thing to add that drives me crazy when someone doesn't answer. And so the plan falls apart. Cause it's like, it's like a two or three person plan. And so you don't do it. And then that person answers the last day and they're like, well, what's happening? And it's like, well, we canceled it. It's like, well, why? And then that person gets mad or yes, upset. That, about I mean, that, and that's it's like, the most, are you actually ever? kidding me? Like we <laughs> put all this sh- like stuff together. We had all this stuff. And then now you're angry because we didn't put stuff like, get out of here with that. Get out of yeah. here. Yep, yep, yep. That's that's when you got to just uh, be very blunt. Man. Uh, yeah, okay. Sweating. So next thing here, back from the tangent, taking ownership of features and tasks. So this actually goes well from the communicating effectively because that's this is part of it. A great way to stand out, stand out in a team, especially when you're starting on a project with a team, is finding tasks that have been in the backlog for a while, which you can accomplish quickly. So like taking a look at the backlog and seeing where your expertise can be used. Like if you're really good at date and time, for instance, which is a pain in the ass for many different reasons. But if you're really good at it because you've done it and there's a bunch of date and time stuff in the backlog, if you just take on that task, contact all the stakeholders, so the person that reported the task and maybe like your manager and being like, hey, I can kick this out in a couple days or a couple hours. Can I just take this on? Showing that Again, I don't want to use the word term initiative because I feel like it's kind of there's a lot of negative connotation. It's like you got to show initiative to be a good employee. But no, like this is just you trying to get better at being a a developer for yourself. And the way to do that is to actually develop stuff and just taking on a task yourself can show that, hey, you, you can take on big projects right off the bat. You can close tickets. You can you can check off things. You'll get better and more interesting tasks or stories that you get to complete rather than just being that like passive voice in the background that has to get assigned stuff all the time stories like are you saying like you're doing some crazy task and then something funny happens and then you have a story no sorry a story a story is a is a jira slash task management uh terminology my bad good good call out though uh it's essentially a large a a user story is like 
um, we want to be able to have users log in to the application. That's a story. And inside of that can have like a ta- like a bunch of tasks. So it's just the task management terminology for a larger task that will require multiple tasks inside of it. Does that make sense? Like a series of tasks, a collection? Come on. A collection damn, of tasks, something names. like that. I hate it. But they use the, people Come use user now. stories. Yeah. I don't know why. Whatever. That's user what story sounds like support tickets where it's like, what did the, what happened to the user? And then it's like the user no, claimed yeah. that they tried to sign in and then it didn't work. Like that to me is what a user story is. Get, yeah, get out of here, take, get out of here, Mike. That's it. You're not, you're, you're booking you out of the hotel. Yeah, but again, like that's a good that's a good breakdown. I'm sure other people would have uh, would have been confused by it. My bad. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so just being able to take ownership of those things and then break it down into the smaller tasks that you need to break it down to. If you need help assigning that help to other people, like being that person that can just again solve a problem on your own, take ownership of a task is a huge benefit. Trust me. Like this is something that I try to do on almost any new project that I work on. I don't try to step on anyone's feet. That's another key point of that initial like fact gathering that you do with talking to the stakeholders. Cause you can talk to a couple of stakeholders like the manager and stuff like that. And they can tell you, Oh, you know what? We, we have this person slotted for that task. And then you move on. That's fine. You don't want to, you don't want to cause any friction there, but if it's something that's been sitting there for a while, it's probably there for a reason. It's either we, they don't have the expertise. They don't have the time, right? To do it because they have to build the expertise and then do it. So it's just, it's one of those things that can differentiate you right off the bat. And again, build that confidence to, for whatever reason, call yourself a good developer. And then next thing here is mentoring and passing down knowledge. This one is difficult for some. Uh, it's not, it's not an easy one because it requires cognitive, like an actual like thought of being like, okay, I need to spend time with someone to get them up and running or something like that. And a lot of times when you're a developer in a company, you time is something you don't have. Like it's just, there's so much stuff that you have to do. Everything's constantly on fire and you're just constantly just churning out code. But the reality is, is that it's really important to be that, like, if you can be that person, because then you become pro- that process in, in an onboarding, you become part of that process for onboarding. So when it, when a new developer comes in, you're that person that can pass down, you know, this is the problem with the code base. This is how you set it up. This is how you do this and stuff like that. Like, yes, you can have the documentation do that. But if you have a combination to add to a, to add to it with mentoring, then a per, then a new employee can ask you questions quickly and get spun up faster. And a lot of times I find, at least for me, I will learn a ton about the code base when doing this because a new, a new set of eyes, when they come in, they'll point out stuff that you didn't even think about. So they'll be like, Oh, you know what? At my old company, we kind of had this function completely. Like it was a generic one. And you'd be like, Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. This is where that like maintainability comes in. This is where you can do create refactoring cycles. This is where you can really hone your skills a little bit because you're allowing a third part, like a, a complete outsider that's just coming in or someone that's just like a junior developer to come in and ask those questions. And when you get asked questions, that's when you're like, that's when you kind of have to know your stuff. And you could say, no, I don't know this. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, that doesn't make you a bad developer, but that's where you go out of your way and learn whatever they're asking you and help or, or help them find the answer yourself. 
all those skills are going to make you a better developer, just guaranteed. Passing down knowledge is difficult because you have to know that knowledge enough to pass it down. So it's that forcing factor for you to learn in-depthly some of the technologies that you're just kind of using just because you can use them. You know, I, I will say, you know, as you were talking, the one when you first started, I was thinking, man, like, I don't think you're obligated to mentor or pass down knowledge. You know, I don't I don't like I know you mentioned like, you know, sometimes you don't have time in this and that. And I don't want people out there being like, man, I'm a bad developer because I have, you know, I have most of these things on this list or like I'm you know, I'm working on them. But, I, you know, I just don't pass down my knowledge. It's like I don't pass down my knowledge. I mean, I guess we are on this podcast, but like not on a one to one like I'm talking to one person all the time and checking in with them, um, you know, thing. So, like, I, I almost want to put an optional thing in here, but I guess, like, you're right about how this point expands into you being able to, like, almost be mentored. Where if, like, a senior a senior person says, like, hey, like, you know, implement this with, like, I don't know, MySQL. And you're like, oh, I've never used MySQL, you know, without my, like, PHP my admin before. Like, what do I do? You know, like being mentored, like being like it's it's a part of it where you can ask the question of being like, hey, like, instead of being like, yeah, all right, sure. And then you just go and you just, just screw their whole database up because you didn't know what the hell you were doing. It's like, you know, mentoring and passing down knowledge, but also being past knowledge and being able to take that knowledge and and know when to ask and know when to be like, yeah, I, I actually don't know. And, and this seems critical. So, like, can you maybe like tell me a little bit so I don't. Don't blow everything up type of thing is um, absolutely a part of being a good developer, I'd say. Yeah, knowing when to ask questions is really tough. Um, <laughs> I have troubles with it for sure. I've gotten better at it. So, Matt, the fact that you brought it up, it, it's becoming a point on this list. Knowing when to ask questions, 100%. Because it's it's something that can like that you learn to be comfortable with as you get better as a developer. The earlier on, you think that asking questions actually pokes holes in your like resume or whatever and your pride. But realistically, asking questions actually is, is the thing that will give, like, will give you respect. People will give you respect for asking questions. Now, the caveat is that you don't want to ask the same question 10 times. So a good, in, a good thing to do is if you're asking questions, make sure you note them down. You ask them twice, it's not that big a deal. Like it's not the end of the world. Um, but as soon as you start repeating the same question over and over again, it could be a problem. So make sure that you're writing down the answers. Make sure that you're documenting them somehow. If you document them into, into a, a knowledge base for that company, even better, stuff like that. So like really important to ask questions. Super important to figure out who to ask questions to. Be, and if you're that person in the company, be that person to, that people can ask questions to. Go and go out of your way to to tell them that, because a lot of times, like Matt was saying, when you're first starting out, it's just it's an awkward situation because you don't know what you can ask, and sometimes you're just going to not ask because you're afraid. So unless someone is actively telling you to ask them, they won't know. So be that person, even if you're a junior, it doesn't matter. If you just started and a person started a week after you, great. Now you you're a week ahead. You have that week of onboarding. Be that person that they can ask questions. Again, it forces you to learn a little bit more. It forces you to inter interact. It forces you to be an integral part of the team. You know, one thing, too, I want to say, I don't want to scare anyone away from doing this, but be, be prepared to be told off, too. Sometimes. I've definitely been told off a bunch of times. Like, yeah, I just figured it out, bud. 
or like, yeah, like, you know, you're a big boy. You can figure it out. And I mean, like, those are probably not like acceptable workplace comments that I've received, but sometimes, but, um, it's like, it's happened where I've like been like, Hey, like I've never done that before. And it's like, yeah, well, good for you. You're going to go figure it out. It's like, oh, okay. Like be prepared to be told off sometimes. Cause it's like, they don't have time. And like, I mean, some people just aren't graceful about it. Um, and like, that's a part of the fear of like knowing when to ask of like, like, Oh Jesus. If I ask this person, I'm going to get told off, but it's like, yeah, I'm going to get told off. I mean, he was pissed. He told me off. And then I don't know. Go tell the supervisor. <laughs> like, I don't care. Like at this point, like it's, it's at that point. It's like, it's like when we're playing golf and people are all worried about like, oh my God, like, are we, are we making pace? And I'm like, tell those guys back there, if they're mad, call the marshal up. That's what his job is. Call the marshal up, get us kicked out or whatever. Move on with your life. Like whatever. It's like, I'm just going to get told off sometimes. Like, I mean, as, as ridiculous as that sounds, hopefully it's not like a serious telling off where they're like swearing at you and stuff. But, um, like some, sometimes people are just going to be like, no, man, like figure it out. Like, I don't care. All right. Yeah. And be okay with receiving that. That's okay. Now you know that that person is probably not either in a bad mood. So don't don't assume that they're just a terrible person right away. They might be just in a bad mood. So maybe try again later or something like that. Um, but for the most part, you can tell pretty easily when someone is kind of standoffish. And I don't know, like it's just sometimes it's okay because, again, life circumstances and stuff. But for the most part, you it's just a dick move to do that, especially to a junior developer. Like that's a crazy – to me, that's a crazy, crazy thing to do. I would never do that. If anything, I would just tell them, hey, I don't know. This is the person that I th- that I think can, uh, can solve this or, hey, just really busy today. I'll answer tomorrow. Like those are the answers that I've given before, right, when I was just didn't have the time. And I feel kind of bad about them, but like it's just – I would never be like, hey, just figure it out, bud. You suck. Like that's ridiculous. Man, the but, number one, I remember, like, it's, like, seared into my head. I'm not going to give out details, but uh, I'm going to change details, in fact, to, like, keep it anonymous. But uh, absolutely have been told off by somebody to do a proprietary organizational solution. It wasn't even something technical that I could Google and figure out. It was something specifically the company had to have done in a specific way. It took hours to do, and it was everything they invented. It was just an organizational procedure. Think of it as um, you take a, a problem and you break it down into little tasks like we've already talked about, but you break it down into multiple Microsoft to-dos and they have to be labeled with certain numbers. And if they're not labeled with certain numbers, it all gets rejected and you have to redo it. Think of that. And I was told, oh, just like get it done. Just get it done. There's no guide for this. It's supposed to be anonymous. It's like, it's not written down anywhere. There's no documentation. Where am I supposed to do that? And it, this is the only team that does it. So I can't go and like talk to someone else. I got to do it here. So what would you have me do? And so what I ended up doing is just constantly asking every single step and he got super pissed off and then he was just mad and I was mad and we were both mad all day and that was it. And I don't, I don't know if that ever got healed. I'm still mad. <laughs> I'm mad. <laughs> I'm mad. That person might be mad. I'll be talking about, he might be talking about it right now. I'll be talking about know. it right friggin' now. Maybe. He might, he might be, but I, am. I don't know. You're going to have toxic people in the workplace. That's going to happen. Uh, the idea is to try to surround yourself with people that aren't as toxic or find the people that are willing to talk to you and cut out the toxic people. Um, that's that's Friggin really the wild. idea, but it's tough. It's tough sometimes. Yeah, that, Especially that when is it's crazy. proprietary. Like it's, it's not yeah. like – it's like I'm not going to go to the univer- – I'm not going to go to a university to get X company's proprietary internal procedure – from one random team. Get out of here with that. Get out. All right. 
<laughs> Barring that, uh, the last thing I have here is, again, something that we said early on. Can you implement a solution? And I think, again, that at the end of the day, that is the most important one. If you can take a task and go all the way down, whether it be asking with asking for help, that's fine with like doing bad solutions first and implementing better and better solutions as you go. That's all fine, too. Can you get it done to the point where it's used in a production application? That's it. That's the real question that should be asked and should be iterated upon and should be getting you should be getting better and better at. If you're just starting out in development, I'm not saying that you're a bad developer or anything like that. It's just this is where it, what it comes down to when you're hired to do a job. Can you get that job done? Period. If you're a plumber, can you change the pipes without them leaking and being destroyed next week? Right? That's a good plumber. If you're doing it inefficiently, like it doesn't like, okay, you're doing it inefficiently. You're one hour slower than the best plumber ever. It, you're still a good plumber. That's the point that I'm trying to make here. Solve problems, figure out how to solve that problem, iterate, get better, get better. It's not, don't ask yourself if you're a good developer every day, just at the, in the back of your mind, it's going to come up, but figure out ways that you can metric, like define yourself, have, have points of points of reference and get better as you go. That's the key here. And the thing again, too is like, yeah. you'll, you'll naturally find like shortcomings as you go through and then you'll just be like, man, my uh, communication skills friggin' sucked and the client had to keep asking. It's like, all right, well, next time send a couple more emails, <laughs> you know, you'll end up doing that naturally more than likely if you care. Yep, exactly. You're never going to be perfect starting off. Let me just say that right off the bat. You're not going to be perfect and you're not going to have all these things that I was mentioning down and you don't need to. You don't need to be a, a leader and a mentor. You don't need to take ownership of tasks. You don't need every single thing that I have here to be a good developer. And you don't need to be like perfect at any of them. I am not perfect at any of the things that I mentioned. Far from it. But in my eyes, when I look back on it, when I think about what I can do, these are the things that in my mind that I can, I have a baseline and I can work towards becoming better at all of these. And you can have a different baseline for yourself as well. Don't take what I say as being the, the industry standard. I'm just saying have a solution in your head so that you don't get trapped in a rabbit hole of imposter syndrome. You are a good developer. That's the key. A bit of a pep talk there. I like it. Yeah, there I like we go. Like a lot. Some people have to, some people need it. Some people need it. I need it. This is more of a pep talk for myself. I want to say that again. You need a pep talk. I need to be told off. Um, there we I go. <laughs> I need to be told off so I could talk about it friggin' 15 years later. Um, but anyway, I think that, I think that concludes it. Uh, you know, talk about what a good developer is, what a developer is and breaking it down, talking about workplace stories and that type of thing. Uh, hopefully this has uh, cured any, uh, or lessened, I should say, not necessarily cured any imposter syndrome. What are you dropping? Yeah, what I'm dropping you? stuff. That sounded exactly like a pack of smokes for some reason. Or is it? No, no, we're Canadian, a pack of darts. Excuse me. Pack of darts. Um, yeah. dropping your darts. But anyway, um, hopefully it, it's a help to your imposter syndrome, if any, and hope to, hopefully it uh, points out some things that you can uh, and should learn or improve upon, stuff like that. And uh, with that, I'd like to thank our uh, $3 tier patrons. Remember, if that if you if you want to become a $3 tier patron or you want to support the show, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And 
Many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons: Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com, Chris from Selfmade Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com, Tim from the Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com, DL Ford from dlford.io, Pip Hashash Nine Block Media nineblockmedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale, and Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. Feel free to leave a comment or review in the platform you're listening to this on. And this outro is going to sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.